All right, get ready. Open up your Bible to Acts. We're in the book of Acts. Last week, we started in Acts chapter 6. Today, we're going to look at Acts chapter 1, a little bit of 1, a little bit of 2, a little bit of 4, and the reason being is we started this new series last week called 3 to 5, and just in case you weren't here, I'm going to recap it quickly for you so you kind of know where we're at, but even if you were here, I want you to understand and remember what we talked about because this whole concept of 3 to 5 is not just a series for us. This is just when we're rolling it out to the church, but this is vision for us. Because the whole concept of three to five I shared with you last week is very simply this, is that our friends at Exponential, which is a conference, laid out different levels, five different levels of churches in the North American context. Level one and level two are churches that are declining or plateaued, and that is 80% of all churches in the North American context. And then level three is a church that's growing, and that's 16% of churches in that, in that category. And by God's grace, we have been a level three church church for, for really since our inception 13 years ago. But now what we're saying is we're not okay with just being a level three church. We want to go to level five. And the reason being is because level five is multiplication. Level five is multiplying this mission of making disciples, which we just say grow people. And the reason being is because at level three, if we don't set our sights at level five, then it's only a matter of time before we level one. Right? Because we all know nothing in this life stays neutral. You know that because you can work out for six months and take two weeks off and then you're winded and it's like you never worked out, right? It's a constant thing that we have to keep going after and saying, hey, we're setting our sights on being a reproducing and multiplying church, which means supplanting campuses and churches outside of ourselves to see this vision of multiplication happen. And so when we talk about three to five, you're going to see it on the walls. You're going to see it everywhere. This is the vision of our church. And it's something that we want to give the next few decades of our life as a church to. And the reason being is because that's what we see the early church did. And so last week we started in Acts chapter one, and it said these days when the disciples were multiplying or increasing greatly. And that's what we want. We want these days to be like those days, don't we? I don't know about you, but I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to just do church. I want these days to be like those days. And so what we're going to do is we're going to just simply look back between Acts 1 through 5 and say, okay, what did they do prior to Acts chapter 6 that led to them having those days? And so we're just going to look at that and a couple things to pull out today for, to help us understand if this is what they did, that maybe we do those things, then these days will be like those days. So let's pray as always and ask God to bless our time together. Then we'll jump into our text. All right. Father, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for the privilege and honor it is to be a part of what you're doing in the world. We are well aware of the fact that we don't deserve anything. We don't deserve Jesus. We don't deserve heaven. But because of your gracious kindness to us, your love for us, you sent Christ in our place for our sins. And now by his spirit, you are empowering us to join you in this mission. And so, God, we take it as a privilege and honor. Everything that we're going to talk about over the next few minutes, God, would you bless would you help us to see and to love this vision that you have and show us our part in it? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to start in Acts chapter 1, just one verse in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And here's why. 
We talked last week, like I said, Acts 6, in these days when the disciples were multiplying greatly. And so I was just thinking about it this week, just as you read your Bible. I was just reading my Bible, and this thought came into my mind to saying, okay, if Acts chapter 6 is what we want, we want to see disciples multiply greatly, then I'm just going to go back and read through Acts chapter 1 through 5 and, and try to pick out, okay, what were some things that happened? What were some things that they did? What did God do in those chapters that led to Acts chapter 6? And so like a good Baptist preacher, I came up with three things and they all start with an S. All right. Three things that we're going to see between Acts one and Acts five. And I just, again, just as my own reading, there's obviously more than these three things, but these three things jumped out at me and I'm just going to highlight those to see if we want these days to be like those days, then these three things are three key ingredients. All right. First one is found here in Acts chapter one, verse eight. Let's see what Jesus said. It says, but you will receive power. Everybody say power. power. That was good. You can't say the word power without having power. So let's try that again. But you will receive what? Power. power. Thank you. Thank you, Jasper, as well. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, this is Jesus right before he's about to ascend into heaven the final time, and he's giving them again this mission. And what is this mission? It's what he told them in the Great Commission at Matthew 28 to go make disciples of all nations. And so you see this again here in Acts 1.8. Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, end of the earth. So Jesus from the beginning had a vision for his church of multiplication, so you say, where does this whole level five multiplication stuff come from? It didn't come from Taco Bell. It didn't come from a bad stomach thing. It came from Jesus, right? And, and we say this often around here. If you're new to Revolution Church, I want you to understand something. This is actually on our website under our leadership page that Revolution Church belongs to Jesus. This is Jesus's church. It's not my church. You're not my people. This is Jesus's church. You're his people. So therefore, Jesus is the one who sets the mission and vision for the church. And I'm just trying to show you that this is his mission and vision. His mission is to make disciples. Where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, oh, and the end of the earth. I think that pretty much covers it all. And here's what you need to understand something. Canton is the end of the earth. You're like, really? Yeah, this started over in Jerusalem, man. We are the end of the earth. And, and we think of Jerusalem as the end of the earth. No, that was the genesis of it all, right? Like That's where it all started. But here's what I, I want you to see. We should all take the same mindset. And we've done that here as a church, saying, okay, Jerusalem, that's our canton. Judea, that's a little bit wider. Samaria, a little bit wider. End of the earth, right? That's the vision of the church. Now, here's the key ingredient, though, that most churches, including me for the longest time, missed. Because Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses but first, he says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. So before he ever sent them out, he sent them up into the upper room. And he said, you pray, you pray and you wait for the Holy Spirit. Now, that word there, power that I had you say is literally the Greek word dynamis. It's where Alfred Nobel, who invented dynamite, got the word from the sweetest chemist inventor. And the whole concept of dynamite is power. Power, in that case, in a small package. And so here's Jesus telling his disciples, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you're going to receive dynamite. 
You're going to receive power. And the idea of this word here, power, is a controlling influence. You're going to receive power for the vision and mission because you can't accomplish this in your own power. You can't accomplish this by yourself. But when I go up to be with the Father, the Father's going to give you a gift. Jesus talked about this in John 16 and 17. And it says, it's actually better for you that I go because you have me here with you. But then you're going to have the Holy Spirit in you. So you're going to receive power. So here's the first S that we have to understand if we want to see Acts chapter 6, where the disciples are multiplying greatly, it starts with the Holy Spirit. It starts with the Holy Spirit. Can't start anywhere else. Because great things that are accomplished for God are accomplished by God. We need to understand this. And and again, I've I've told you this before, but I didn't grow up in church. And so when I started going to church, it was a small East Texas Baptist church. Nothing wrong with that. It was great. My father's still there. I went to a Southern Baptist seminary. Awesome. But I feel like one of the things that I missed out on in that whole experience was the power of the Holy Spirit. I got great doctrine, but my joke always is we talked more about the Father, Son, Holy Bible. And it is a holy Bible, and it is God's word, but the Bible's not part of the Trinity. In the sense of like this book, Jesus is the word. So yes, in that sense, yes. But what I realized so often was I was being commanded of what to do. Again, I'm so grateful for my Baptist upbringing because I got good doctrine. I got good commands. Here's what you're supposed to do. But in my 20s and in my 30s, and that's how you know you're old, right? Because you refer to yourself in decades. And I've said that very, very few times here now, uh, a few times. But I I got told, here's what you need to do. But I would be constantly frustrated because I couldn't do it. You ever felt like that? You were just told what you need to do, but you weren't given the power to do it. And here's what you see Jesus telling them, listen, I told you what to do, but you wait here for the power to do it. You wait here for the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the key to this whole deal. The whole, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is key. Now flip over to Acts chapter two or down or over wherever it is in your Bible. Acts chapter two, verse one, and then verse four, we're going to see the fulfillment of this promise in Acts 1.8. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, verse four, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the day of Pentecost, you need to understand something. Before it was a Christian day, it was a Jewish day. It was a holiday. It was the festival of the first fruits or the harvest. It was 50 days after Passover. The word Pentecost literally means 50th. So on this 50th day, all the Jews would come back to Jerusalem, offer the sacrifice of the first fruits as a way to say, God, you're first. You're first. And so we're putting you first in our life. And it was on this day that Jesus said the Holy Spirit was going to come. And again, here's what's amazing. Everything in the Old Testament is fulfilled in the New. So you can't properly understand the New Testament without understanding the Old Testament. And you'll never fully understand the Old Testament without having the New Testament. Because what was hidden in the Old is revealed in the New. And it's this one amazing story. So all the festivals, all the things that they did, Jesus said, listen, I didn't come to do away with all that. I came to fulfill all that. And so Jesus is showing, that was all the shadows. Here's the reality. 
And so the shadows of the observance of Pentecost was pointing forward to an outpouring of the Spirit, which God prophesied in Joel, which Moses said would be great way back. And he said, oh, that all God's people would prophesy by his Spirit. Then Joel prophesied that it would happen, and then it was fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. So here's what you need to understand. Any great move of God is started by God. And it's fueled by God. And so the Holy Spirit was the fuel of this vision of multiplication. And I love how it says that the Holy Spirit, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now let's talk here for a second, because again, there's a lot of confusion. I addressed this some last week. When in Acts chapter 6, they were looking for men who were full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And I put those two, a lot of times we juxtapose those and say, and there's no way those two can go together. And my point was, no, right doctrine and the Holy Spirit can live together. In fact, that is the whole point. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. And so those two do not have to be mutually exclusive. But a lot of times we create denominations around just those two and ignore the other. I mean, we Christians are weird, man. And so I just want to talk just a second about the Holy Spirit. Again, there's a school of thought that says you get saved. And then later on, you get baptized in the Spirit. And there's a separate, distinct, second blessing, as it's called. Let me be clear. Not being offensive, let me be clear. You're not saved without the Holy Spirit. You didn't make that decision on your own. You didn't make some intellectual ascent, and then later on, you got the Holy Spirit. No, Jesus said in John 3, you're regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Paul says later in 1 Corinthians, he says, listen, you're baptized into one spirit, or by one spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that saves you. So I personally believe that the Bible teaches that baptism of the Holy Spirit starts at salvation. Now, understand something. There's a whole nother school of thought that says, well, once you're saved, that's all you get. And this whole separate, distinct experience is not something that continues to happen. Here's my thought on it. What you see, and I'll show you in Acts, is what he started, he finishes. So it starts at salvation, and then it continues, and they're filled, and they're filled, and they're filled. So one of the reasons why I don't believe in just a second, separate, distinct baptism is because that's not enough. It's not enough. You need more and more and more. And I gave this analogy years ago in a series we did called By His Spirit, or By the Spirit of the Balloon. When you're saved, the Holy Spirit breathes into you. And, and when you follow him, you're keeping in step with the spirit. He fills you. Now, it doesn't mean that, that you, do, you get more of him. It just means that he gives you more of himself. He fills you more and more. Why? Because you leak. And so here's what you see. Again, you see, regardless of where you are on that spectrum, here's what you can't say. You can't say it wasn't fueled by the Holy Spirit. It totally, it totally was. And when the Holy Spirit shows up, sometimes people speak in tongues. You see that. Not every time. In Acts chapter 2, the tongues that they were speaking were other languages. That's how they heard it. Because all these Jewish believers were coming back and they were like, hey, hold up. All these Galileans are speaking our native languages. How all of a sudden do you know Spanish and Mongolian and Chinese and all these other languages? They didn't. It was the Holy Spirit. So sometimes the speaking is other languages. Paul does say, if I speak with tongues of men or tongues of angels, sometimes it's words that you don't understand and someone's got to translate it. Again, it's not that hard. But here's what you need to understand. It all comes from the Holy Spirit, the gifts and the fruit. All right, we good? You need the Holy Spirit. 
So here's my point. Ask to be filled by the Holy Spirit. Paul says it in Ephesians 5.18. Don't get drunk with wine, but be filled on the Spirit. Hey, guess what? You don't need Bartles and James or whatever the wine is as much as you need the Holy Spirit. And here's what's amazing. I love that the Bible juxtaposes being drunk with wine with the Holy Spirit. So when you get under the Holy Spirit, guess what? You're under a different controlling influence. That's the point. That's the power. And so no move of God ever happens without God. And so as a church, if we want to see the times of Acts chapter 6, we better pray and ask God to fill us with his spirit. That's where it starts. Now look at the second S. Skip down or skip over now to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It says, and as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Listen, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit ain't the only person that's going to come on you. All these people trying to stop them came on them too. Great. Now listen, I love verse two. Greatly annoyed. When's the last time you were annoying to somebody because you wouldn't shut up about Jesus? No, well, that's never happened. Well, you need to be filled with the spirit, man. Because what, listen, again, we've made, the, we've made being filled with the spirit about all these specific gifts. What is the primary point of being filled with the spirit? It is about you opening your mouth about Jesus. That's the point. Sometimes it's in other tongues. Sometimes it's in prophecy. Sometimes it's in gifts. It doesn't matter. The point is, all of that is to tell somebody about Jesus. That's the point. And so the apostles were just telling people about Jesus to the point where it was annoying the religious leaders. Look, it goes on. Greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. So they were speaking about Jesus to the point where it was greatly annoying the religious leaders around them that they arrested them. That they arrested them. Now, here's what's so important this is why you need the Holy Spirit. Because when you get arrested for speaking so much about Jesus, you're going to be tempted to think that somehow God doesn't love you because he allowed you to get arrested. But I want you to see something. They didn't let that stop them. In fact, that just fired them up more. Which leads us to this second idea. Look at verse 17. Verse 17, it says, but in order that it may spread, I highlighted that because that's the title of my message today. But in order that it may spread, now they did it no further, but in order for it to spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Now look at verse 19 and 20. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. Verse 20, but we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Listen, you need to throw us in jail, throw us in jail. We ain't shutting up. Why? Because we just saw Jesus die. And he rose again. And he hung with us for 40 days. And then he went to, 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 to the Father. And we saw it. We are messed up. We can't help but speak of what we've seen and heard. You want to know why I think a lot of us don't speak of Jesus? Because we haven't seen and heard it. 
We haven't had that encounter with the Holy Spirit where he blows up our mind and heart and says, listen, I did this for you. And then he empowers you to go out and spread the mission, spread the vision of people knowing Jesus. Now, I love this. It goes on, look at verse 21. And when they had further threatened him, they let him go or let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. Now, listen to this, verse 22. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. You're like, what? What is that about? Acts 3. In Acts 3, Peter and John walk into the temple to preach Jesus. There's a a guy who'd been lame from birth. He was born that way, crippled, asked for money, said, I don't have money, but I'll give you Jesus. And so they gave him Jesus. He stood up and walked. Goes into the worship service, starts praising God. Everybody's flipping out. It's like, that's the dude that was just laying outside. Now he's in here praising Jesus. Praise Jesus. And all these people start believing. And here, (laughs) here was the thing that the religious leaders were like, bro, he's 40. There's no way that happened any other way. Right? And, and I just turned 40 this year, so I'll take a little bit of offense to that, right? But like, this, this cat's way too old. I mean, this, he's not like 12, and somehow he just, you know, he, he went through great physical therapy, and now he's walking. I mean, this cat's next to death, and now he's walking, right? That's kind of how I read it. And so they said there's, there's no way, because all these people are praising God that this dude is now walking with Jesus, literally walking with Jesus. Again, Holy Spirit. That doesn't happen without the Holy Spirit, which is why, look at verse 31. It says, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Again, you see a filling in Acts 2, you see a filling in Acts 4. That's why I don't think it's just a one-time deal. This is a perpetual walking with Jesus, walking by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit. So they, this happened all the time. But here's the second S that you see. Stubbornness. Stubbornness. The first one is the spirit. The second one is stubbornness. What do I mean by that? Even after they got jailed, they didn't stop speaking. They didn't stop speaking. The reason why Acts chapter 6 happened is because Acts chapter four, they didn't shut up. After they were jailed, they came back together praising God and they were filled with the Holy Spirit even more. Listen, you need to understand something. The spirit and resistance go together. Why? Because the spirits of the natural realm don't wanna see a move of God. So when the Holy Spirit starts moving, you better expect resistance, and it may come from the most unlikely of places, religious people, who should know better than anybody that this is what the Spirit does. If those religious people had actually read their scriptures, they would know that it prophesied about this happening. That's why you need the Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit to give you that God-inspired moments where you don't give up, where you don't quit, where you don't throw in the towel because everybody else around you has given up. Everybody else around you is saying, this is simply too hard. And this is, listen to me, church, because I'm speaking primarily to Americans right now. This is what the church in America needs because we are so in this like state of shock that we can't believe that we're actually being persecuted for being Christians. Listen, America's not heaven. 
And America will grow increasingly secular. We're only about a decade behind Europe. And so what's happening there is already happening here. And all of us are shocked. And we're like, can't we go back to the 60s as if that was better? When the family unit, right? Really? The 60s? Listen, now listen, I'm proud of America. I'm proud that America is founded on the principles it's founded on in our constitution. But make no mistake about it. Even though we live in a religiously free culture that we will be persecuted for following Jesus. And you better be ready for that. This is why you need the Holy Spirit. And so don't be surprised when you start standing up for Jesus, people start attacking you. And here's what happens. When they start attacking you, you'll, stop, you'll start shutting your mouth, and therefore the vision won't, won't be accomplished. You need the Holy Spirit to give you those moments to help you stay stubborn. Let me share one of those moments with you. I, I, I was supposed to show these pictures earlier, so production guys, hang with me here. We'll go back and show those photos that I skipped. Holy Spirit's problem. And... Uh, So this year, um, back in March, I I knew I was going to take a break in May and I needed to take a break, I mean, in June to spend time with Jesus. And so I started kind of getting ready for that. And one of the eBooks I read, just praying and saying, God, what is your vision for your church was, was an eBook by a guy by the name of Ralph Moore. He wrote it called zero to five or new to five. And the whole idea was how to start your church from the beginning to be a level five church. He was a church planner in California, and then he moved to Hawaii, and which you think, oh, Hawaii is great. No, it's a very dark spiritual place, and he started over 2,500 churches on six different continents after 20 years of being there, and so I read this, and over my break, I was reading it, and God just blew up my heart. I mean, blew up my heart, and then my wife, who is where all the conversations start before they go to anywhere else, we were just sitting around praying and talking, and I laid all this out on a sticky note because I like doing that. And I was like, Here, here's, here's the vision, here's the vision. Three to five, we're, we're growing, we need to go to multiplication, all this other stuff. And she's like, this is crazy. I'm like, I know, but this is a dude named Ralph Moore. You need to understand, it's been done before. Like, it's amazing. And so this whole thing happens. And then I come back from my break, talk to our staff, talk to our board, and say, here's the vision, here's where we're headed. We start rolling this out. We've been talking about three to five for months. Knowing, knowing that this series was coming, knowing that everything that we've been working towards is, is headed this direction. Then this week, let me tell you what happened. On Sunday night, some of our staff members, we went to the Exponential Conference in Chicago because that's where we meet up all of our churches that are church planning. And I had to speak at several of the, the sessions. And, and so we were there hanging out and it was a great time. And anytime you're in Chicago, if you don't know this, you've got to eat deep dish pizza, right? I mean, like just like, I mean, it's a sin not to. And so we land, we landed Sunday night and literally, I kid you not, to me, the best deep dish place is Lou Malnati's. And so from the airport to our uh, hotel or the, the Lou's that was right next to our hotel, it was going to, we weren't going to get there in time. It was going to close at 10. And so like, that can't happen. So we went to the closest Lou's to the airport, like got off the plane, got our stuff, drove, drove to Lou Malnati's. It was amazing. It was glorious. God bless. And so we're eating deep dish pizzas. I mean, that's the only way to kick off your Chicago trip. And so we're there for a couple of days, speaking, hanging out, doing all this kind of stuff. Then on Wednesday, we were flying back and we had had pizza. We had had good food. And we're like, hey, what's the last, you know, we got one last meal. This is lunch. We honestly debated about like, man, our flight's later. Let's catch an early flight. It was too expensive. So let's just go. We were in Naperville. It was like, let's just go eat. What is in Naperville that, that we could have that we just hadn't had yet? So we're like, nothing says Chicago like sushi. And so we went and had sushi in downtown Naperville. 
It was amazing. It was a four and a half star restaurant, star restaurant out of five. One of our pastors, I won't mention his name, but David wasn't too excited about eating there. And so we went and had sushi and he was like, man, I really want Giordano. I really want pizza. And so while we were there, we made a decision. We're going to eat sushi. And then for dessert, we'll go down to Giordano's and have dessert and get some more pizza. And so I kid you not, that's what we did. So we're there eating sushi. We got a couple hours. We walk a half mile down to Giordano's, full on sushi. But the good thing about sushi is after you eat it, 30 minutes later, you're hungry, right? And so we had kind of prepared well. So we walk into Giordano's, and Giordano's is another great deep, deep dish pizza place. We go sit down in, the, in this back room, and we're sitting down. There's a table of five of us. There's this other big table sitting there with, a, with probably, I don't know, 10 to 12 guys and they're all talking. We kind of notice, oh, they just came from the same conference we were at. We saw the lanyards and kind of listened to what they were talking about. And so we're sitting there just kind of hanging out and, and eating. And you put, place the order. You got to wait 30, 45 minutes for that amazing thing to come out. And so we're sitting there waiting. And David is kind of eavesdropping without eavesdropping, you know, that kind of deal. Like just kind of one ear listening to us. One ear. And he goes, dude, there's a guy over there at that table who's discipling everybody else at that table into multiplication. And we'd been sitting there for, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes. And I look over and, and I kid you not, it was like I just saw an angel. That's Ralph Moore. <laughs> That's the dude who wrote the ebook, New to Five, who our whole vision is, I mean, and, I mean, you just had, I mean, the Holy Spirit came down, I mean, in the deep dish and right there at our table, right? Like, I couldn't believe it. What are the chances? Now, here's what you need to know. Had we not gone sushi and eating sushi first, and we went to Giordano's first, we would have missed it. But had we not felt the Holy Spirit and like, we really need to go get deep dish pizza after eating sushi, because that's a great idea, we would have missed it. Had we caught our earlier flight, we would have missed it. And so we did what any normal, well-adjusted, healthy human being would do. David and Chad just went over and stood by the table as they were talking. Just stood there. And then eventually they picked up on it. Like, hey guys, we're like, hey, hey, sorry, sorry. I know we're like totally stalking you right now. But we got to tell, we were at the conference too. It was amazing. And, and, and we just want to sit down. Ralph, you're awesome. And so we, we took a photo just to commemorate the moment so that you know that this is legit. Here's a photo of me, of all the guys around the table. So there we are. There I am in the back. These are a bunch of urban church planners in Omaha, Nebraska that Ralph, and he is the third dude on the left there, is discipling them into. Then I had to, I mean, again, I had to take a picture with him. So here's the next photo. Me and Ralph, really good looking guy there, especially on the right. And um, <laughs> that's the dude who, I think he's in his 70s now, late 60s, early 70s. And I got to say, dude, you, you're shaping the vision. I mean, straight out of what Jesus was doing. And I said, what are the chances we just started a three to five series last Sunday? What are the chances that some cats from Atlanta would fly up and eat in Naperville and meet a dude from Hawaii? Only the Holy Spirit. And here's my point. That was one of the confirmations we needed to know we're on the right stubborn track. Right? We're going to stay stubborn on this vision of multiplying. And God, and here's what's crazy. I got his email address. I got Ralph Moore's email. Now, 
how psycho would I look if I just like, hey, can I have your email? But God lined that up in a way that we, none of us could take credit for. That's what happened in Acts. Now look at what happens next. The last S, verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. Verse 33, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Now verse 36 and 37, thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, that's how you know him as which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, what's the third S? You got spirit, you got stubbornness. The third one is sacrifice. Sacrifice. You want to know why they were experiencing multiplication in chapter six? Because they sacrificed for it in Acts chapter two and Acts chapter four. Now, Let me just go ahead and acknowledge the elephant in the room because I'm gonna talk about giving. Go ahead, get the weebie-jeebies out, right? But I want you to understand something. The vision, here's my point. The vision, it's on the screen, is fueled by his spirit and it's funded by his people. It's fueled by his spirit and it's funded by by his people. Now listen, yeah, you can clap for that. Here's what I want you to see. One of the reasons why I think that the church today is not experiencing level five multiplication is because they are not stubborn about the vision. They've come off of speaking about Jesus and they haven't sacrificed enough for it. When we talk about seeing multiplication happen, when we talk about seeing this happen, it is going to require sacrifice. So I need you to understand something. I'm not asking you to give 10%. I'm asking you to give way more. And I got to be straight with you. We will not see a move of God if we do not have generous people that are sacrificing and selling stuff to see this happen. This is why we started the Multiply Initiative last year. It uh, should be in the seat back in front of you here in Canton and Jasper. It's at the back of the auditorium. This is a three-year giving initiative that we started last year. Let me tell you just a little bit about it, and I'm going to get back into the text. This is an opportunity for us to give to multiplication. This is an opportunity for us to fund this vision of multiplication, and it's going to require sacrifice. I need you to know that. Like, I don't want you to buy into something that you thought you were getting. Oh, I didn't know this was required. No, step one, day one, you need to know. This is required. But here's the amazing part. When you step into what God is doing, when you sacrifice for what God is doing, it opens doors for what God can do. How do I know that? Barnabas. Verse 30. Now, now think about this. Why in, Luke wrote the book of Acts and, and he wrote it as he was talking to people about what happened. Why do you think of all the people that sacrificed, of all the people that sold stuff, he mentions Barnabas? Why did he mention Joseph, who the apostles renamed? Dude, this cat is an encourager. Let's call him Barnabas. What a great way to be renamed, right? Why do you think Luke mentioned that? You want to know why? 
This is my thought. You go read in Acts chapter 9, a dude who is sending out murderous threats to Christians gets saved. His name was Saul. He gets blinded on the road to Damascus. Ananias has to go and talk to him. Imagine being Ananias. You want me to do what, Lord? And he does, and the scales fall off. Saul goes to Jerusalem, starts preaching. Everybody's freaking out. Go look at Acts 9. I believe it's verse 27. It says, but Barnabas spoke up and vouched for him. Now, how in the world could Barnabas vouch for Saul? It's because back in Acts 4, he sacrificed. His sacrifice in Acts chapter 4 opened the door for him to be a part of what God was doing. And now the apostles were like, if Barnabas is vouching for this guy, we'll believe Barnabas. Why? Because Barnabas bought in. Barnabas was in. He got it. His sacrifice opened the door. Now imagine if Barnabas hadn't sold a field and gave it to the apostles in Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 9 would not have happened and we would not have had the apostle Paul and the greatest missionary journey that led to our church being here today. Barnabas' sacrifice opened the door for him to vouch for Saul. And then him and Saul became those two that went out. And then later he's called Paul. See, everybody talks about Paul. But that don't happen without Barnabas. If you would, let me, let me share another story with you. It just happened to me this morning. I hadn't even told my wife about it. She's here, so she's about to hear. Every Sunday morning, I get up, get ready, drive to this location. I pass a Starbucks. So I go buy a venti Americano with heavy cream. That's my drink my jam, right? So I go in, I know how much it is, about $3 and 40 something cents. So I'm there this morning and God does this to me a lot. He'll just like, Hey, pay for this person's thing, pay for this person's thing. I'm like, all right, Lord, it's your money, whatever. So we're there and there's a car behind me and I can, it's dark. I can just see the headlights. And he goes, pay for their meal or pay, not a meal, Starbucks, pay for their stuff. Yes, sir. Lord. So I turned to the lady, I've already paid. I said, ma'am, I'd like to pay for the people's order behind me. And I kid you not, she goes. I was like, oh no. She said, uh, and please, it's not about me. She goes, uh, sir, there's a $17. So she's like, I know that's a lot of money, so we'll just send them your well wishes. And God was like, you going to pony up, sucker? <laughs> I mean, I ain't going to lie. I'm thinking to myself, $17? What you buying at Starbucks, man? Are you getting like a vintage, triple mocha, hot, steamed, with whip, you know, like frappuccino. I mean, what are you getting? $17? I mean, I don't know how many people's in the car. And so I said, ma'am. No, I'm going to pay for it, but hold on. I got to reload my app. Uh, so I got the Starbucks app. I put money on it, and, and, and it wasn't the church's card. It was my debit card. So I put some money on it. Here you go. She scanned it, and I kid you not, this is what she said. 
you got a lot of good karma coming your way. And, and without even thinking about it, I was like, ma'am, I don't believe in karma. I believe in Jesus. Uh, now, now hear me. I said, do you go to church anywhere? She said, no, I, I work on a, a lot. I said, listen, I know a great church right down the road. It's like, what church? Right here on Highway 20. You just keep driving down. They've cut all the trees. Now you can see the big white R in the building. That's it. She goes, oh yeah, I drive by there every day. So we'd love to have you at our church. One of the pastors there, I'd love to have you come. And then as I was driving away, I thought about it. It wasn't about the people behind me. It was about her. But it was the generosity to the people behind me that opened the door of a conversation with her. It cost me $17 for God knows what to have a conversation. <laughs> but the best $17 I've ever spent. Hear me, church. Hear me. Hear me. Are we asking you to sacrifice? You better believe it. And I'm straight with you. I don't get it when people don't put Jesus first. Jesus is first. He went first. You want to know what the festival of, of the Pentecost was about bringing back the first fruits, saying you're first? I don't get it. Because tell me, hear me, when you meet Jesus, when you stand before him, you will not regret putting him first because you will see that he is first and you will love the fact that you sacrificed everything humanly possible here for him and his name. You will not regret it, but you will when you see him and you think, why didn't I put him first? Why did I put an Apple phone or an iPad or iPad, whatever they come up with, right? <laughs> why did I put all that first? You want to know why? Because you mistakenly thought that this was heaven. So am I asking you to give? You better believe it. And not just 10. I'm asking you to give first and more. And listen, if, if, if that bothers you and this is not the church, that's Okay. We're going to stay stubborn and we're going to sacrifice. But here's the thing. God's inviting you in and saying, come play. Your generosity will open the door for you to have a conversation about Jesus. And what will it cost you? Way more than 17. Everything. But when I left Starbucks this morning, and I don't use this like, I'm trying to think of a better word, but I can't think of one. I was on a high that nothing else in this world can give. Aware of the fact that God saved a dude like me. And now he's letting me influence someone else's eternity. I get to, to give. So sacrifice. It's funded by you. But here's my promise to you. You pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You stay stubborn on the vision that God is calling us to. And you sacrifice and we'll see those days be these days. We'll see a move of God happen in such a way that nobody can take credit for it. So between now and the end of the year, I just want you to pray. Ask the Lord how he would have you give. But make no mistake about it. Make no mistake about it. We want to see those days be these days. We need the Holy Spirit. We got to stay stubborn. 
and we gotta sacrifice. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that Jesus gave the promise that he would build his church. And the gates of hell wouldn't stop it. We're on the winning side. And the thing that gets in the way of the church today is not hell, it's us. Because we are more concerned with physical things than we are spiritual things. God, we repent. Forgive us for ordering our life around things that have no eternal value. Like how much we have, what we own. We want to order our life around Jesus. We don't care about living long lives. We care about living full lives. But everything in this world is designed to distract us from that. And so God, I pray right now, if there is nobody, if there is somebody here that has not trusted Jesus, that has not come to grips with the fact that one day they will die, as Hebrews 9.27 says, it is appointed man wants to die and after that to face judgment. And I know there's a lot of secularism today that people say, well, I just don't believe that there is a God. Well, here's the deal. Jesus is the only person who ever died and came back to life to tell us what actually happens. And so God, I pray for anybody right now who doesn't know Jesus and doesn't have this hope of eternal peace with you that you'd save them. No one looking around or talking. I feel like we need to do this a little bit differently. I don't really know how. I'm just being honest with you. But if you want to trust Jesus, normally I have you raise your hand. Would you just stand to your feet? Again, nobody looking around or talking. You just stand to your feet if you want to trust Jesus. If you want to trust Jesus, thank you. In just a second, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And you can repeat after me. And this prayer is you responding in faith to what God's already done in your heart. So if you want to be saved, it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to save me. I ask you to save me, forgive me. I give you my life. Thank you for loving me. Now, if you just stood, we got men and women going to walk around, put a gift in your hand. When they do that, you can sit down. And I think God led us to do that for this, this part. Again, nobody looking around or talking again. I want to have another response. Can't Nan and Jasper... If you're a believer, 
and you're saying, I want those days to be these days. And I want to be filled with the Spirit. I want to be stubborn about the vision. And I'm going to sacrifice for it. If you're willing to do those three things, again, nobody looking around or talking, I'm going to ask you to do something as a moment of commitment. Would you stand to your feet? Now, don't stand if you don't mean it. This is between you and Jesus. Father, we want those days to be these days. We want the number of disciples to multiply greatly. We don't want to waste our life. We don't want to play church. We want to see your spirit poured out. We want to see your people in power to share the good news. So thank you for the men and women that are standing right now. Making a, a commitment with you saying, yes, we want to do these things. We want the spirit. We're going to stay stubborn. We're going to speak about Jesus. We're going to sacrifice. And for those that are sitting, God, that's okay. This isn't a moment of judgment. It's a moment of invitation. And so, God, I pray that you would work in all of our hearts. And, God, I pray that you would move in amazing ways. Now, you can be seated again. Again, the goal is not to point anybody out. None of that was planned. We've been given an unbelievable gift. We've got the greatest news in the world. Let's not waste the 70 or 80 or the 40 or the 15 that we get on anything else. I love you. We'll see you next week.